Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us, cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Amen. O Lord, show us the light of thy countenance, and we shall be made whole. Amen. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm not going to do what I'm about to do every week in this, but I'm going to take five to ten minutes at the most of our class to lay the platform of what we covered last week because of how we're going to build upon it this week. And I know some were here, some were not last week, but just to jog our memory and for those that are new to set a stage for all of this, that remember our, our series, Awaking from Our Spiritual Slumber, basically about experiencing God in the precious moments of our lives in a way that he'll enlighten us and illuminate us so that we wake up in him to the experience that we can have in him in the moments of our days is the whole point of this class in this series that we're going to be doing. And I'm taking it from two things. One was the actual testimony that we have and that we celebrated on the Mass of the Feast of the Transfiguration, where our Lord Jesus Christ takes his disciples in the dark of the night, and he asks them to come up to the mountain to pray with him. And when they went up to the mountain, what was the result that the darkness had on them? They fell asleep. The darkness caused them to fall asleep, as it would many of us in the wee hours of the morning. But when Christ prayed, we're told, he was transfigured, and the illumination of his glory made it so that the top of that mountain, the darkness retreated quickly. And what was the result upon the disciples? The result was this, they woke up. The illumination of Christ all around them and toward them and in them and through them caused them to wake up. The book that we're using as a guide, again, I'm not going to be teaching chapter by chapter through this book, but more gleaning from some ideas and offering more of the teachings of the church is the book Time and Despondency. Time and Despondency by Dr. Nicole Rokos. And I suggest it for anyone, if you haven't gotten it already, it'd be a wonderful book to get and read through because it has to deal with this. It's a book that helps us see spiritual despondency very clearly in our lives. I mean, really, as she writes about what the fathers have always said about spiritual despondency, you can't help but be looking in a mirror while she's writing it. And you see how spiritual despondency is playing itself out in your lives. And I see some people nodding because I know you've had those, the book. So we gave it to you a while back and it's been very helpful to you. But it's not just about seeing the spiritual despondency or the spiritual slumber in our lives. What's as if not more critical is now the path to waking up. The path to coming out of that dark slumber of our soul that we don't even know we're in when we're in it, because when you're asleep, you don't see things. You don't know how deep asleep you are when you're sleeping at night. Again, like I said last week, until the alarm goes off. Then you wake up and you realize the state you came out of. And so this is what we're asking the Lord to do. Lord, help re reveal to us 
illumine our lives where our soul is asleep. In the moments and the hours of every day, show us that. And he'll do so in a very gentlemanly way, in a way that we can handle, in a way that we can come out of layer by layer. And the second thing that we're asking is, help us, Lord, through the wisdom that you have given your church. Help us to know the path to wake up, to experience you in the days of our lives. And last week, we began to define, at least the first stab at defining the spiritual understanding of despondency. And I'm going to mention three things about despondency that we talked about, and then we're going to move forward today. Despondency is an illness within our soul that produces that spiritual slumber that keeps us from experiencing Christ and his illumination in our lives at any point of any day. That's what despondency is, that spiritual slumber within us where we can't engage for whatever reason the presence of Christ in that particular moment of the day. And we've discovered three truths about despondency. One, that that spiritual slumber, that despondency in our soul is at the root of all of our restlessness, of our anxieties, of our despair, of our depressions, of our sadness, and it's also at the root of our so easily being able to be distracted by every blooming thing that comes into our mind to take us away from God. That's despondency. It's at the root of all of these things. And behind all of those symptoms of despondency, the restlessness, anxiety, despair, and, and depressions, being distracted, what is behind that is our pain. The pain within us. The sufferings that are in every one of us because we are not yet whole. We are still incomplete and we have been damaged by the results of the fall of man that we have inherited from Adam and also by the fallen world of darkness around us that has harmed us either by things happening to us or by ourselves choosing things in that darkness that brought harm to our souls. And that pain within us, like we said last week, every person's human pain is never neutral. It does not have a gear that's neutral. Every human being's human pain is always crying out to be soothed. And I say pain. Pain can also be, it can be physical pain. It can be emotional pain, it can be spiritual pain, and it can be lack that, ca that causes suffering in our lives. And all of the above simultaneously, exactly. But the bottom line is that pain is crying out. The question we have to learn to gauge is, where is the, what is the pain crying out to? What is our internal suffering crying out to? Is it thrusting itself before God where it can find healing? where that lack can be filled, where it can be absolutely soothed and a restless soul come to restfulness? Or is it crying out to anything else, absolutely anything else other than God, which is either going to numb that pain or keep us in that constant hunger to be whole, but not fulfilled? That's the question. Thirdly, we talked about the fact that time plays a critical importance in understanding despondency, which is why she labeled the book Time and Despondency, and it's why the fathers talk about how we use our time being so critically important in the moments of our days. And God knows that you work. 
God knows that you parent. God knows that you do all of these things in life that are necessary. But in the moments of our lives, how are we dealing with time? And especially when it comes to that yearning in our hearts to be made whole, how are we engaging time? Because in the moments of time where we choose other than God, we're going to experience that continued emphasis of lack and spiritual hunger and emotional hunger and a starvation within us that is uncomfortable and keeps the soul restless. Or in moments of time, God will be present and will make time meaningful all of a sudden. That's what we covered last week. And that's why Dr. Nicole Rocha summed up this perfectly. I'd remind you of this one quote from last week. That despondency arises from a relationship to time that has become broken. It amounts to no less than a perpetual attempt by the mind to flee the present moment. Not engage the present moment, flee the present moment. To disregard the gift of God's presence at each juncture of time and space, the path to healing is the path back to the experience of God in every present moment we have. And that is the church's wisdom for us. So one of the things we talked about is the litmus test that can really help us see, at least take aim at finding the despondency and the spiritual slumber in our lives is just have a blooming look at how you live in your day. Have a look at what you do with the precious few moments we are given in this fleeting life. We pretend we are deceived by our enemy that we have forever. One of the greatest deceptions of Satan is you have more moments. And as soon as you buy into you have more moments, you, you lose the one moment you're in. You, you lose the beauty of the one moment you're in. You lose the ability to experience the God of the most profound moment there is, that one in that day, right there. You see? And one of the things that I asked us to do as an assignment last week, I said, take this week, look at your moments. What do you do with your moments? Where do you see yourself being without even noticing it in the past? Now maybe you'll notice it where I'm being distracted from the beauty of the present moment, being with Christ and experiencing him, distracted towards something else. That was the assignment. Look at your days. What do you see about yourself? And I want to take a few moments. Does anybody have anything that they gleaned? And listen, don't worry about embarrassing yourself. I'm going to embarrass myself when you're all done, and I probably have it better than you. Okay? But honestly, when you looked at your life this past week, what did you see that came up to the surface of things you went, wow, I could have been something so much more in these moments, but this is what I did. Any insights that you had about your lives and yourselves? Yes, please. Watch a lot of YouTube. Yeah. Carpet cleaning. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Smartphones are pretty much evil. They're not neutral, right? Okay. Sharon? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I saw your hand. <laughs> right to the glory of God. You said pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. There's there's like all right. What else? Anybody else see anything? Yeah. Worries. Worries. 
The focus on the worries. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. What else? I found myself in a voice from the cave. Benedict's my patron saint, so it's okay. Oh, come out of your cell and talk, sir. <laughs> I usually find myself thinking when I'm doing this thing, thinking about the other things. Ah, uh, yeah. I wind up being ultimately unproductive in every direction. It just goes, yeah, yeah, good, good. Anybody else? <clears throat> Very good. Yeah. Uh, I'm often planning the next thing I'm going to do, so I'm not focusing on the thing I'm doing. Oof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Right. Right. All of those, thank God, that's the, those are the very things we want to begin seeing clearly. But, but now ask yourself this question, and you don't have to answer this out loud. Just all of you that both shared something, but all of you that didn't. When you look back at your life, how many times in your life did you even know you were doing such things? Did you even pay attention that I was that you were thinking about worries or thinking about the next thing or thinking about it just happens to us when we're spiritually asleep in those ways? Does that make sense? That is the hideousness of spiritual slumber is not seeing but it's also the beauty of the illumination of Christ that illuminates those things because once they're illuminated, transformation happens, which is why God illuminates these things in our lives. Okay, my turn to share my blunder, okay? You know, I, I, did, this, I did the same assignment I gave you this week. And mine turned out not to be, the, the thing that I ended up focusing on was not so much one instance thing, but man, literally about a two or three week period recently here in my life. Let me tell you something. The rhythm in the kingdom of God that I was so unbelievably enjoying lasted from last year's beginning of Lent all the way to the end of this July in the summer. And I'm going to tell you something. It was a season in my life of, it was refreshment. I don't care what bad things were going on all around or things I had to deal with, or I was centered because of it. I was in such blissful fellowship with God, which is why I wasn't getting rocked to and fro by different things. It was really a season of peace. And I was reveling in it. And then, there's always the end then. That's what I get for that's what I get for enjoying anything, Dead Gummit. Yep. No. No. But then and then life. Not that life wasn't going on, but something snuck me. Exactly. And here's what happened. Many of you will remember that in late July, I literally keeled over one morning with excruciating back pain. And it did not, there were no signs of it coming on. And now I'm going to share with you the sad testimony of what that physical pain, no, sorry, I almost phrased that wrong. The sad testimony of what I did with that physical pain. So here's what I did with that physical pain. First of all, the first two days, I couldn't sit still, I couldn't 
move real well and I had to keep adjusting myself. And so in the midst of even those two crucial days, without even knowing I was doing it, man, was the TV on a lot. Because I'd turned it on. And I was watching TV, figuring, I can't do much else. I'm going through that, and I'll pick up my my partly evil smartphone. (laughs) And I'll scroll through not evil stuff, but pointless things. Pointless things. What was I doing? And it was amazing how sad my, A, my choices did a 180. And because of those choices, not only in those first two initial days, but in that first couple of weeks, I lost the whole rhythm that God had gifted me with to experience such a blessed season in my life. And I lost that because not I was in pain. That was not the problem. The problem was I was seeking things to get through it other than Christ, my healer, other than Christ, my sustainer, other than the God who I have always known gives me strength in times of suffering, whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual, you name it, I abandoned my God in the moments. And here's despondency at its best. I didn't know it. I didn't know and see that I was choosing other things other than God. I was just letting my suffering within me knee-jerk react to something pointless. Just to numb the experience I was going through or to somehow get through it with a little more pleasure, right? I mean, come on, when we're suffering, no matter what it is, emotional, spiritual, physical, again, what is our soul crying out for? Soothing. Relief. But in my spiritual slumber, I didn't go to the one who would have brought it the whole time. Regardless, just like I'd gone through things from Lent all the way through the end of July, nothing had rocked me or taken me off the Lord. I'd kept my face on that. But for whatever reason in my slumber, like Peter, who when he was standing with the Lord above the waves, when his face was fixed on him, I mean, this is exact description of what happened with me. When I took my eyes off of him for just a fleeting moment, put it back onto the waves of, in this case, my physical pain, there I went drowning. And I I want to key on this. It didn't take long for those two weeks to be miserable for me. The change of my experience in life went beyond physical pain. I'd lost the blessed fellowship in those moments of the days I was enjoying with God, and that's a huge, that's a bigger loss than my health was, I discovered. I lost that. And you know, again, what was the source of the turning point going from a blessed experience in life with our Lord? And going from a downward spiral and a lessened experience in this life, it was not my pain. It was where I was directing it. It was where I was directing it in the moment. 
It was what I was doing with my time, how I was filling the moments. I was filling my lack. I was filling my need with things other than him. Are you seeing despondency at work? Let me ask you a further question. Are you starting to cease? And I mean starting to see how despondency is at work in all of our lives. Because it's true. But I want to profoundly express thanksgiving to something. And this is the goodness of God. That just as quickly my experience in this life diminished during that time beyond my pain, but even spiritually, as quickly as I regained the rhythm and I put my eyes back on God, probably even faster, I was able to re-experience once again, in spite of the fact that my back is still not completely healed, and we're going through a lot of stuff in the church all over the world, in our own archdiocese, and many other things are happening in, in my own family and things going on that I'm back to not being so rocked again. That's the goodness of God. Like Father said today, are you done yet? Are you done not looking at me? Well, come on. This is the mercy and the blessedness of the mercy of our God. But I want to tell you something. Even in the midst of my weakest two-week period, that initial two weeks, you want to know what my saving throw was during that two weeks? I'm looking at my saving throw. It was that the church made me your priest. Why? Because even though I, I had lost my prayer rhythm, I still had to do prayerful preparation for the times I would be with you. And I still had to do prayerful preparation for these teachings that we were beginning to come up on. Father and I joke all the time, we're so bad off. We were so bad off that the church, Christ, had to make us priests to save us. You know? And it's true. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. So just like you can... You can you know, thank God that Christ, through all of, of the clergy and the church, hands down to us the beautiful revelation of God through our faith. You know, you can also learn greatly about our faith in the ways that we have failed, but the way that God has redeemed, you see? And I hope you see something a bit about yourself in that. Okay, so let's talk further about despondency, some more ideas about despondency so that we can possibly recognize even more things in our life moving forward. And I want to launch a bit more uh, into this, and I'm going to use that same example from my life because even as I was preparing for this, I was looking back to see how I could have helped myself better in those moments. But I want to make a statement of truth according to our faith. The despondency is a misguided attempt to cover ourselves. Despondency is a misguided attempt to cover ourselves, and even more specifically, to cover our shame, our lack, and our suffering. I want us to talk about that so that we understand what that means. In order to understand this, we have got to go back to the first deceit of Satan in the garden. Now, we understand, because we've talked about it many times, what that deceit was. And I say this, and I will forever say this, that please look and see how Satan, our enemy, the enemy of our soul, is the least creative, most, uh, most redundant entity there is in the universe. Because if you look at every sin that we fall into, every way that we fall short, we've given into the same deceit over and over again, over and over again. 
And that is this, other than trusting the order that God has given by creation and paradise and himself for us to live in fellowship with him and become like him, which was, remember, our created design in the beginning was to have fellowship with him by that fellowship to grow, to become like him. So they come to that tree that they were not to eat of, and, the, and, and Satan says, Eve, eat. She says, no, I'll die. What is Satan's deceit? Well, no, you, you won't die. Listen to how he twists the truth, not goes against the truth, but twists it. He says, Eve, you're not going to die. If you eat of that, what? You'll be like him. Which was the very intent of the heart of God. He's playing in off of the intent of the heart of God to deceive Eve. And so she takes and she eats. And then Adam does as well. And what do we find? Because they departed the order of God, they sought another way outside of him. Just like in those moments, and like some of you shared in your moments, we sought after something else other than God to find healing and soothing and relief. Adam and Eve did, and they gave in to that. And you need to understand this, that immediately, there's not a time span, immediately when they departed that order that God had created and gifted them with to become like him, immediately their entire created experience changed and diminished. It was not a time frame when they chose to depart God. Immediately this happened, and we know this because the scriptures tell us that for the first time, their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were what? Naked. You know, naked is a phrase of lack. They didn't have, they noticed all of a sudden, something they had, they no longer had. Something had diminished in their created existence. St. John Chrysostom says this about that experience that they had. Because of the fall, they were stripped from grace from above, and they felt the sense of their obvious nakedness, so that through the shame that overcame them, they might know precisely what peril they had been led into by breaking the Lord's command. Have you ever thought about this? That our sense of lack, when we choose something other than God, is a mercy of God? How many of you know that pain in your body, what does pain tell you? Something's wrong. And when we know something's wrong, we go to do something about it, whether we do the right thing or not. That's not the question. But when we know that something's wrong, in other words, St. John Christum is saying that they immediately knew something was wrong with them and that God had made that happen and that it was the grace of God they were given that was removed from them, the glory and the grace of God. When they were in perfect fellowship with him, they were enveloped in that illumination. They were enveloped in that glory of God. And when they chose a different path and separated themselves by that choice, that left them. That's what they mean by they were naked. You see the lack and you see the suffering that comes from that lack. When, and here's the critical thing for you and I, the important truth to notice is what 
or I should say how they responded to this sense of lack, this diminishing existence in their lives, this suffering. Did they turn to God? Did they run to their father? Did they run to the one that they walked in the garden with on a daily basis? No, they did not. The first thing they did is they tried to cover themselves. The first thing we're told. They tried by their own way with, oh, by the way, itchy fig leaves. They weren't even good at covering themselves, just like you and I are awful at covering ourselves and our lack. But they covered themselves, they tried to cover themselves rather than going to God. And then when God came calling for them, when he came calling for them, they even hid from him. Even then, they were turning away from God. What does God do to cover them? He sacrifices an animal. I don't want to go into all the theology of that. That's not the point right now, but there's plenty that could be said about that initial animal sacrifice that covers the lack of man. I think you know where you could go with that, you see. But they tried this on their own. And I tell you, it's the same thing that when my back was in pain, it triggered a sense of suffering. It triggered a sense of need. When our emotions have been hurt, when we have been damaged, again, by the choices we've done or we have chosen or the things that have been done to us that have damaged our identity so much because of our wounded emotions, when we try to cover ourselves, it's such great failure. We never come to our true self when that can be had no matter what calamity has happened to the human soul. But I did the same thing. My back was in pain. It triggered my sense of suffering. I knew I was in need. And what did I do? I tried to cover myself with numbness, with passing of time, not the beauty of time, not the importance of time, and certainly not God in time. In fact, there are two things I noticed about myself. One is that I robbed myself of those experiences of God for that two weeks that could have been had. They would have made the experience of that suffering a, totally different, and B, salvific for me. Because that's what God does. He takes suffering that he never intended to be in our lives, and he flips it on its head and uses it for our salvation. He, make, he constantly makes something out of nothing. For the good. Exactly. But there's a second thing, and this made me the, almost the more sad than I, the statement I made about I lost those moments. We need to understand that when we attempt to cover ourselves in that spiritual despondency by reaching out to something else, we robbed God of what he desired most. And that was to be with us in the moments of our pain and our suffering. And to be our endurance, to be our strength, to be grace to press through. And by doing so, to come out after that suffering so much stronger in faith than we were before. Because through the experience of that suffering, because God was in the fiery furnace with us, because he was there, we look back and we can say, Lord, before that, I thought I knew you. But like Job said, now I know you. See, and that's exactly the word straight from Job. Before my suffering, I thought I knew you. After my suffering and with you revealing yourself to me here in the midst of my suffering, now I know you. We deny ourselves, no, we deny God the opportunity to be who he wants to be for us in our fallenness with our spiritual despondency. And where is it that we lose the battle 
because we're going to, this is the last section we're going to talk about. Where do we lose the battle? I want to conclude by helping us understand where we make our choices as to whether we turn to God in the midst of these times with our lack and suffering, or whether we try to cover ourselves and turn to something else. That battlefield, that battleground, and you've heard me say this before, is entirely the battlefield of our thoughts. The battlefield of our thoughts, our thought life. Right there is where the Christian both constantly wins or loses in this life, is in the battlefield of our thoughts. Listen to the words of warfare that St. Paul talks about when it comes to our thoughts from 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. I begin in verse 3. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. By the way, I want to tell you, you'll see this in a second. All this warfare, all this pulling down of strongholds is within your own soul and in your mind. And the weapons of God are mighty for that warfare. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Here it is. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You just heard the very battlefield of every Christian, the one of our thoughts. Take every thought captive, he says. And that word, as the fathers point out, and it's actually just them talking about the language that's being used. The the word thought, when Paul says take every thought captive, is a funny sounding word, but it's logizmi. Logizmi. And this is a very specific type of of thought that St. Paul is using when he's describing it in 2 Corinthians. It's not just a thought. It's the pinprick birth of a thought in our mind. Why is St. Paul saying take a thought when it's just been birthed in the mind captive with all of this spiritual warfare that we do? Because you and I know either we're taking the thought captive or it's going to steamroll us. That's it. And where is the best place to take something captive but when it's at its weakest point? And so the goal of the Christian is to ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit to walk in such fellowship with God that in the moments of our day and our thought life, we catch the thoughts at their birthplace when they're weak and allow Christ to share the illumination of what the heck to do with this thought. How do I deal with this? You deal with this with me. Do I ignore it? Do I come against it and find victory? Or do I just simply turn away and walk a different direction and follow you? This is what St. Paul is saying. Listen to this quote from Dr. Rokas in Time and Despondency regarding our thoughts and these logismi, because it's a beautiful picture that's accurate. I hope it helps you. Like an unsolicited artist, logismi paint on the canvas of our mind. Images of the world that may or may not be based on truth and reality. There is never a moment in our lives where the logismi, thoughts, are not being painted on the canvas of our souls. My friends, understand this. Thoughts are not sin. Thoughts are thoughts. When we cooperate with thoughts, that divide us from God, oh, that's sin. We've fallen short of what we're created not only to be, but to enjoy in him. 
Like an unsolicited artist, Logismi paint on the canvas of our minds the image of the world that may or may not be based on truth and reality, which is precisely why we need the illumination of Christ to tell us what thoughts are truth and reality, so that again, like Father said, and he and I have both been mentioning this, that when we are locked into the mind of Christ by fellowship with him, not only do we see him more clearly, but we turn around and see a world totally differently. We see them through the eyes of Christ who sees every problem and what's behind it, and we discern with his mind. This is true about our own personal brokenness and our own personal suffering and the things that are in our life. We see darkly. Therefore, we fall into lie. We believe the lie, as Scripture says, more and more and constantly about what we say or what our flesh says or what our enemy says that we are because we've chosen these things or this damage has been done to us by the hand of others, we see darkly. But you let the light of Christ illumine your mind and you let him look at these thoughts and shine light on all those thoughts that are being painted on the canvas of our mind and our soul. And we see the thoughts differently. That's not who I am. Because you've said, this is not who I am. Heal me. And I offer this very thing that's producing these thoughts about myself. I offer them to you so that you can make me whole again because I see it clearly now. It's not me. This is not me. This is the reason you came for me. This is the reason you came for me. So that you could touch me and heal me if I would just bring it to you. He enlightens us with the thoughts that are on our canvas to see them from his perspective so that we take those things we're thinking about ourselves or others and we present them to him as an offering to heal. That's the Christian faith. That's salvation. That is salvation. In the book of Nehemiah, one of my favorite stories, and understand in the book of Nehemiah, this is happening just after the Babylonian captivity of Jerusalem. They've been brought out of that captivity, and they are starting to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and rebuild the city itself. But as they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, They are being attacked and attacked and attacked. And so God gives Nehemiah wisdom. And here's what he tells him. Nehemiah, have some building the wall. Have some resting. And have some of my people stand on top of that wall on the watchtower looking out for the enemy to see when he's coming. And so they did so, and that was the way that they were constantly able. Because if they saw the enemy coming, they gathered the whole of Israel there so they could not be overtaken. And then they got back to work with working, watching, and resting. And I tell you, working, watching, and resting should be every moment of the Christian life. Every moment of the Christian life. How is it that we're working? We're working to cooperate with God in living in this blessed fellowship with him, we're working, and when we do so, we're working on the construction of his Jerusalem and his Jerusalem corporately, rebuilding the temple here and here. But at the same time, while we're working, we have to be watching, standing on the watchtower, again, like St. Paul said, of our thoughts to see any movement of the enemy or our own flesh that works against us, bring it to God. And I promise you this, that those who are remaining in Christ, as they're working, as they're watching, they're also restful. They're also restful. 
That's the life of the Christian. I want to conclude with this. Dr. Rokas draws in her book, much of what she's teaching us from the church's teaching comes from an early church monastic in Egypt, Evagrius Ponticus. Now, later on in his monastic journey, there would be a few things that the, that the church would throw out teaching-wise, and I want to be very clear about that. But much of the things that he taught, the church really grasped onto. In fact, he greatly influenced many of the great church fathers and bishops and patriarchs when it comes to this despondency understanding, a spiritual despondency. And I want to leave you with a bit of his reflections that he wrote describing spiritual despondency as he saw it in himself and he saw it in the monastics around him. Okay, Listen to these words. They're almost poetic but they really reveal the truth of despondency. Here's his writing. Despondency, hater of love and work, fight against solitude, aversion to prayer, slackening of spiritual effort, ill-timed slumber, sleep but tossing and turning, never peaceful, impediment to reflection, ignorance of scriptures, and daily rhythm of hunger. What a description of despondency. Especially love that last, for some reason, that last one sticks out to me. All of them are so incredibly true. But the result of despondency in our lives, that daily rhythm of hunger, never full. Never at rest always seeking, searching the restlessness. Do you get that? That's what spiritual despondency creates in our lives. And so what I ask you to do this week is really the same thing. Keep asking the Lord. Illuminate my despondency. Help me in my thoughts. Let me see what's being painted on this canvas. And let's see what we come up with for next week as we keep going deeper into this. We start looking at time and its place and its role in despondency and also coming out of it. Okay? Let's stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.